when women come together, we do really good stuff. And so I love all women's communities. Now I have two sons. I have a lovely husband. I absolutely adore men. But I am a person who believes that, like, I believe in women's community. I don't think that everything should be integrated. And I think that women should be in charge of more things. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. (laughs) It's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realize it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. for good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Let's wipe our lips on the mic. It's good luck three times. Moisturize those lips. Welcome to the Almost 30 Podcast. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Almost 30 Podcast, friends. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes. It helps us so much. It helps us bring on people like we are going to bring on today. Mm. Truly, truly. She, okay. She's everything we stand for. And I don't yes. want to, it's like, I feel like it's not giving her enough credit, <laughs> you know, because I, I want you guys to have higher expectations, but <laughs> she is warm. She is engaged. She is present. She is so smart and dedicated to supporting women and to supporting people and being off their authentic selves. She went to Harvard. She went to Brown. She went to London School of Economics. She is like, Everything. She's worked with Obama. She worked with Hillary Clinton. She was on the Almost 30 podcast. <laughs> like her resume is crazy. <laughs> so Maura Aaron's Mealy uh, is the author of Hiding in the Bathroom, an introvert's roadmap to getting out there when you'd rather stay home. Sounds like some people we know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me and Krista. She is an entrepreneur and internet marketing expert. She actually started working um, as an internet employee when it was first invented mm-hmm. at iVillage. So like in the 90s, which is crazy. Way ahead of the game. Way ahead of the game. Um, she helped Hillary Clinton log on for her first ever internet chat. Mm. And she, during the 2004 election, election, she was the director of internet marketing for the Democratic National Committee. She is the founder of the social impact agency, Women and Work, womenandwork.org. And, you know, like what we talked, I mean, we talked about a lot of things, but what was our biggest takeaway or my biggest takeaway was, you know, how to work with that part of you that maybe early on in your life was a really shameful, difficult trait. So for her, it was that introverted side. You know, she dealt with a lot of social anxiety and depression and really learning how to use that to her advantage as she was starting a business. We talk about how to network when you're an introvert. Um, We talk about being a mom and having that work life 
uh, fit instead of that balance. She doesn't really believe in the balance so much, which we agree. Mm-hmm. Um, Talked about networking, like how to network if you're an introvert or not really interested in sort of meeting people in a formulated capacity. We talked about if you, for all the babes that are in corporate jobs or are in a job where they go into work every day, sort of how you can navigate that or how you can make it more um, feel better for you for the person that you are and kind of be more flexible. And then we talked about just people that inspire her and what she thinks about mentors, um, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. So this one is a great one. So She so also good. has a podcast too. I was also thinking she also has a podcast too, the Patriarchy Podcast, um, which is really, really great. So we highly recommend that. And then you can also read her on Forbes. So she writes a bunch of articles um, that are really, really great to read on Forbes. So you can check her out there too. Love her. Love her. She was great. Can't wait to visit. She's a joy. Yeah. You guys are gonna, she's just so warm. Like every time she was like listening to our questions so intently, I'm like, oh, she's like listening to me talk. (laughs) Well, it's just so funny because we've done a lot of interviews Mm -hmm. now and, you know, mostly everyone is amazing, but you kind of know when people aren't really listening to what you're saying. A billion. billion. And I'm sure you feel that listeners in real life, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're talking to someone and they're already just thinking about what they're going to say and they're not um, really tuned in to like the intention behind your question and they kind of skip over that part. And yeah, she's just also just another woman supporting women. And we talk about her journey with that. You know, she went to an all-girls school. I relate to that and how that was so difficult Um, and how going to an all-girls school, like the idea of like, it was like over sexualized. Like the the girls were like about that sexually active, and yep. because they had to compensate. I feel like for, they didn't know it was like the only time they were able to communicate with men was like on a capacity where yes, you were like on the weekends, you. Mm-hmm. you were like at the movies. Like gotta like, get it, gotta get it in, gotta, gotta make, get it in. Yeah, and you know, and like when you're in a public school, shout out public school. <laughs> um, it's like you see women answering questions. You see women walking in the hallway. You see them playing sports. You see them doing their everyday thing. Men and women both see each other in that capacity. And they're like, oh, they are also a human too. And they are more than just a sexualized thing. And you like are more accustomed to them being like a person than like just like a person on the weekend. Mm -hmm. That's Uh, a whole nother podcast. Whole other. We talk about that forever. Very interesting. Oh yeah. I should have um, Sister Marianne, my high school principal, come on. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> we'll tell her about we'll tell her about pull and pray. <laughs> One of my favorite topics for the pod. Oh, good. All right, guys, enjoy this episode. Um, you can connect with us in our secret Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Please join. If you're not in there, you must. You it's, must be in there. Today we had a question that um, what brought me to tears as I woke up. I was like one eyeing, you I know, my feed. Is a good one. You got to read it. Yeah. Felt. And also make sure to join our Patreon. Lindsay and I are recording some special content for our Patreon subscribers this weekend. They're getting early access to um, the live recording of our first podcast episode. So join patreon.com slash almost 30. We love the Patreon folks. And then, so exciting, we have a phone number. Ring, ring. Call us on the telephone. Call us on the telephone now. So- I know you guys might be like hesitant. Oh, I don't want to, you know, it's weird. Yeah. So we, we're not going to like, we can't pick up. So it's a voicemail. Yeah, voicemail. Call in, um, leave us a voicemail. If it's a question, if you just want to say what's up, if you want to talk about a particular topic, mm-hmm. you can be anonymous or you can give us your name, whatever mm-hmm. you want. Um, but the number is? 
424-272-1853. Call us. Any adv- if you need advice, I mean, you know, we're learning along with you, but it's always nice to chat with other people about what you're going through. Let us know. We cannot wait to hear from you. We cannot. So enjoy this episode, guys. This, episode. this is such a freaking pleasure. We're so pumped about it. So thank you so much, Maura. Maura, you the bomb. All right, enjoy. enjoy. Okay, let's hop right in. We're so excited to have you. Mm-hmm. Um, a ton of our listeners have been requesting to have you on. Um, many oh of God. them have read <laughs> Hiding in the Bathroom. Um, <laughs> oh well, it's just so interesting, you know, and um, talking to our girls, we have a secret Facebook group that we have like about 2,000 people in there talking every day, just being really like open, vulnerable, supportive. And so many of them um, talk to us about you know, being an introvert and how to really, you know, get out there and pursue what they want to pursue while still kind of remaining true to who they really are. That's right. Um, And it's a battle, I think, when you're young, especially like in your teens, in your 20s, like you think something's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I could talk for hours about that. (laughs) Yeah. Could you take us back to like, you know, your earlier on teens, 20s, like what was it like for you to kind of battle with that? Um, what you thought was kind of something wrong with you? Um, Oh God, you know, it's still pain. It's so funny. I'm 41 and I still don't like to think about being in my teens and it's still hard. I still don't even like to walk onto college campuses because I hated Mm. college so much. So I, you know, I had a very economically privileged upbringing. I grew up in the New York City suburbs, you know, Uh, very dysfunctional family, but I certainly wanted for nothing. On the contrary, I went to amazing private schools. I went to, for the last three years of high school, a very competitive private girls' school, Mm. which for those of you out there who've been to girls' school... I think Lindsay went to girls' school, yeah. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm like shivering, girl. (laughs) Right. It it is its own kind of... Now, some people love it. Yeah. Mm We had a couch. Okay, this was, there was a virgin couch and a not virgin couch in the student lounge. And if you weren't a virgin, you might as well. I mean, this, who does this, right? Would people like one day like walk over to the couch and they're like, she's not a virgin anymore. (laughs) Yes. And you got, it was this really weird combination of like every, they're being very ambitious, very serious about being like, we weren't embarrassed to be smart. Like we were killer smart Mm. and worked hard. It was also, I think, because all the girls, we were separated from boys. We only knew how to relate to boys in like a very sexual way. So it was this like hyper-sexualized and yet hyper-academically competitive environment. Mm. And I was like this six foot one, ungainly mess. Like nobody wanted to have sex with me. And so Mm. (laughs) like it was challenging. And I think that... um, but I was extremely driven and successful. You know, I was captain of the volleyball team. I was a student athlete. I was Senate president and Senate vice president of the school. Like I had it all going on on the outside. I think in high school too, sorry. I think in high school too, there's one idea of sexuality and what is sexy. And that is like very standard. And if you are outside of that, from a boy's perspective of being like very feminine, you know, X, Y, and Z, you are not considered quote unquote sexy and you don't feel sexy. So that's, I think probably more so what it was rather than you being attractive. Oh, you know, but whatever. You know, you're 15, you're 16. Like... But yes, so I think that, and then I went to college and and I think it was, 
I think it was sort of more of the same. And then, and then when I was 19, I had my first clinical depression, you know, where I could not get out of bed. It was, I couldn't go to class. I started having panic attacks in, in the library and I would just like stay locked in the library bathroom. Something bad happened. And, and I think actually sophomore year, I have no statistical evidence, but having talked to so many people, I think sophomore year is something happens. I, I don't know what it is. A lot of people have very intense depression sophomore year. And then, and then I sort of you know, for the next 10 years really went through this roller coaster of good times and then intense, intense depression and, and a lot of panic anxiety. And I think just always feeling like, why am I not happy? Again, on the outside, I'm successful. I have great jobs. I'm healthy. I had such glamorous jobs. I lived all over the world, but I just cried in a lot of bathrooms and I kept quitting jobs. I could not figure out what the hell was going on. I think that, you know, I wish I could do it all over again, mm-hmm. <laughs> knowing what I know now, but that's not going to happen. So my, my only message to, you know, listeners out there who people might look at and think, what is her problem? Why is she upset? And inside you just feel like you want to die is... You're not alone and and it can change, but you have to take some serious steps to understand why you feel that way. What was the turning point when you started to really own that side of yourself and, you know, going from like that serial job quitter and, you know, to, you know, hiding in bathrooms and being so upset and having breakdowns to really like being kind of proud of, of that side of you that could be and is so successful. Like it's almost like a, a tool of yours to be an introvert. Well, it is. And now you, it's so weird. Like you would say that like being a hermit is part of my personal brand. It's amazing. I never have to go anywhere. <laughs> I can just be like, no, no, I don't feel like it. And people are like, oh, okay, that's her thing. <laughs> more being more. <laughs> yeah. Pro tip. Um, you know, it's an evolution. I mean, I think for me, when I, when I was 29... I quit my last corporate job Mm. and I went to social work school at night. I had this idea. I had all, I had had very sort of, I had had corporate jobs, startup jobs. And then finally I worked in politics, like very, very male dominated, gross, but very like exciting and stimulating, but intense work. And I was just done. And I thought, I'm going to go be a social worker. I'm going to learn how to sort of do clinical social work and also macro policy to help women stay at work and thrive. Because for some reason, I guess I had been doing reading. You know, this is many, many years before Lean In and all that. I realized that I was a smart woman. I had a lot to offer. But if I kept crying in bathrooms, and not only that, I, I would get good jobs, but I never kept my power or stayed in them because mm-hmm. I got outplayed a lot. Because what I know now is I'm very anxious. I'm extremely introverted. I don't want to walk into a job every day where I feel like I'm at battle. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like that. I can't do it. And so I sort of had this moment where I'm going to learn how someone like me could actually succeed in corporate America. And so I went to social work school at night but I had to pay for it. So I just started freelancing. And luckily, I had a lot of skills. I, w- I knew a lot about digital marketing. So I thought, I'll just do digital marketing freelancing. And I got my first freelance client and I worked from my kitchen in my apartment. And I was like, 
holy shit, this is the life. Mm. And I realized it wasn't that I didn't like what I did. I actually, I loved online marketing. I had interesting clients. I hated having to go into office in my battle gear, sit under fluorescent lights for 10, 12 hours a day and always be on and be someone who I wasn't. Just, I just couldn't do it. Wow. I, f- I feel like to realize that, I mean... It was a gift. Yeah, it's it was a, a gift. Because a lot of people just think that, you know, they turn to, well, there must be something wrong with me. So I think to realize that is really empowering. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and one of the things that I talk about in my book is it's one thing to realize it. It's another thing to actually sustain it. Yeah. Because I don't want to pretend, you know, we all love, eat, pray, love, but you know, not all of us can sort of run away and find our bliss. You know, you, you still have to work. I, I, I still had to earn money. So I think that part of it is understanding, wow, this is my ideal. So how can I get there maybe in baby steps or in small increments? How much money do I have to earn? What am I maybe willing to give up in exchange for a work life I like better? Like these are all questions that you have to take seriously. And through that, was there a mentor or someone that really impacted you that kind of helped you to create this course of your life that really helped you to understand what you needed, what you didn't need to build a life that really fits you? So I have a problem with mentorship. <laughs> Ooh, let's, let's hear it. I, I think it's an amazing concept and I have met many people in my life. My husband, one of them who he's the kind of guy who like his college professors are still his best friends. You know, we go visit them now 20 years later. <laughs> I never had that. I was Me too either. anxious. Okay. Thank you. I was, I was always just like, it's weird. Like I have realized, I'm like, I don't have a problem with authority nowadays, but I just never was like, I felt like they'd never understood me or they never really got me. So I was like, we're never going to connect. Like, you know what? I don't know. I, I kind of dismissed them, which is probably something on me. But um, yeah, I was never like someone that was like, I love my teachers. Like I had a few that I loved and, you know, that were great. But for the most part, I was like, eh, whatever. whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, that's right. And I think for a lot of us, mentorship happens in snippets or uh-huh. it even happens from watching people. I think that sort of, you know, dead poet society thought of like, you have this one formative figure who changes your life. I never felt worthy. I remember at one point in college, desperately trying to find a mentor and just walking into office hours with my professors and like screwing it up royally. Or I had bosses when I was young who I think wanted to mentor me, but I didn't have the self-esteem to think they're happy doing this. I, I, I ran away. I froze them out. I didn't keep in touch. But I had people that I learned from and that I have watched over the years. I had one woman, her name is Margie Omero. She hosts a great podcast called The Pollsters. She's one of the smartest women I know. She she started her own polling business. She's only a few years older than me. And one day we went out for lunch. I must've been like 25, 26. And it was Friday and I didn't want to go back to the office. And she was like, nah, I don't work on Fridays. I hang out with my dad. I do my stuff. And I was like, you can do that? Yeah, you're like, you're <laughs> wow. I mean, she must have been 27, 28. That was a mentoring moment. Holy crap. So, so I think it's really about tuning into people in your life who you admire. But I think a lot of us, especially because we read so much about mentoring and we hear so much about it, feel almost guilty if we don't have like a capital M mentor. And I just want to say like, that's okay. Let it go. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think for me, it's almost like I just, I take a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, you know, your podcast is so good and kind of just see those people as sort of like my mentors rather than finding someone that I tap on the shoulder that I pay or that I kind of formally am like, okay, will you be my mentor to walk me through this? I just kind of pick and choose um, from some of the best, you know, podcasts there are out there. I think that's a brilliant idea. I want to kind of like shift into... um, your work in digital marketing mm-hmm. and working with women and, mm-hmm. and female-driven brands. As we've started the podcast, we've just been exposed to a lot and it's a lot to take in and to establish ourselves as an authentic brand run by women has been you know, rewarding, but also very challenging because you know, we want to remain true to who we are, but also you know, continue to inspire our listeners. So Um, What has been your experience in that space? So I hear you. And first of all, I think think what you're doing is amazing. And very specifically, you do something that I think is really, really important, especially whether you're an introvert or hermit, you know, like me who wants to really have control over her time and the pace and how she works. Or like you said, you want to, you know, work with a certain amount of integrity and being able to call the shots. Finding a niche that you define and you sort of own is so key. Like you guys could be competing with every other podcast out there in terms of leadership. I mean, there's like a million, right? No, you are super specific. You are almost 30. It's very specific. And probably a lot of people who meet you, advertisers, whatever, might say, nah, too niche, too small. I hear that all the time. I I run a company called Women Online. Now, of course, like women are hardly a niche, right? We're the majority of the population. (laughs) We vote more, we shop more, whatever. But, And so a lot of people say to me, oh, that's such a nice little business. Like that's such a nice niche business because all my company does is we create campaigns that mobilize women for social good. But it has saved me heartache and energy in terms of like having to network and do business development. And it has allowed me to really define my niche. Like if you Google women online, you find my business. And so I think that sort of very niche brands like ours are actually the secret, not only for having a really good work life and being able to call your own shots, but in this insane digital age where there is just way too much content, let's face it, like there is just so much, much, the more niche you are, the stronger identity you can have. And, you know, I really do believe that that's, that's how brands and companies sustain themselves, unless you have a gazillion dollars in your Procter & Gamble, which none of us is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't want to be... Yeah, it's interesting with us, you know, for almost 30... Right When we started out, we were first like... You know, the name um, is amazing and it, it stands for what we do and sort of like the overall vision and message of almost 30 being the transition from your 20s to your 30s. And and at first we were like, oh, people would be like, what are you going to do when you're past 30? Blah, blah, blah. Right, like, exactly. That's only two years. <laughs> literally. They're like, well, what now? And we're like, okay, well, you know, and we would kind of just be annoyed. But now it's like, we're so glad that we chose to focus in on this area because when we have our people and, you know, the thousands loyal customers. It's like just fits perfectly. And we're so thankful. Mm -hmm. I think that is so right. I mean, and it's really hard, right? Because FOMO, right? Mm -hmm. There's always someone who has more followers, more traffic, more money, more this, more that. 
And I have for years felt sometimes like I talk about things that no one cares about. Like I write about anxiety and I write Mm. about having migraines and I write about working from home. I write about all this stuff that like I think is really interesting, but you know, it's not like blowing up Twitter. But it's been incredibly gratifying now that my book has come out and I've had sort of a focus for people to be like, oh my gosh, I never felt, you know, I found you and now we have our community. So I would just say like, if you have your passion, you have to own it. And Mm -hmm. that is actually the secret to good digital marketing actually. Mm. And to that point of, you know, talking about the secret of digital marketing, can you talk about um, social media and kind of maintaining integrity and just creating a brand for, you know, for a lot of our listeners, they're entrepreneurs, they're creatives, and they have a brand online or they're looking to grow their brand online. Um, Can you talk about maybe some influential people that you've worked with or some inspiring things that you've seen or things that our girls or our men and women should think about when they're um, acting online? I mean, I, I'm very lucky not to brag, but I've I've worked with the most influential people online, like President Obama. And Malala. So like, <laughs> like, I miss you um, every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm not them. Like I'm just a, you know, I'm just basically a suburban mom working in my home office. My company is entirely virtual. We all work in our own space and we make amazing change together. So I, I think that's I think that the key is to be yourself online and um, not succumb to the pressure to cre- create content that you think you should create. I mean, it's it's really hard. And people ask me this all the time, like, how do I build my personal brand? And I say to them, well, hey, what does that mean to you? And why do you want to do it? You know, if you're an introvert, frankly, a personal brand might be the worst thing for you. Mm -hmm. So create a professional brand online. Mm. Don't worry about building a giant Instagram feed if you are a serious, I don't know, you know, software engineer and you want to start a software company or you work in a field where your potential customers and your potential clients don't go on Instagram. But if you have a creative business, you need to be on Instagram. So Find the content and the message that's right for you to create and find the platform and the audience that you want to address. Otherwise, you will get totally overwhelmed. Like For me, I like to write. I am a, I am a written word kind of gal. I am still stuck in the like dinosaur ages of blogging because that's where I came up. And I haven't really shifted from that. I mean, I like Twitter, but I'm not going to be making YouTube videos it would feel invasive to me in my privacy. It's not who I am. And it's not how I feel like I can add value. And so I think that part of it is really having an honest conversation with yourself and saying, why am I doing this? And and where can I add value? You know, my friend Nilifer Merchant, who's so inspiring, wrote a book called Onlyness. And she challenges people to ask themselves, what is your onlyness? You know, what is the thing? that only you can offer. And there are lots and lots of beautiful Insta shots of food and funny cat videos out there. I can't offer that. But I can offer really, really insightful commentary about how to mobilize women for social good. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Love that. How do you, in all of this, obviously to build your business, you've had to network. And as an introvert, I can imagine that that would be challenging to kind of face head on. So what have been some hacks for you that have worked 
in order to network and build your business and spread your message? Look, networking is so essential. I mean, I think that it really is important. But I think all too often, again, like mentorship, we are told to network in this very overwhelming way. You know, if you have anxiety and you go to therapy, your therapist will say, stop catastrophizing, stop globalizing, turn things into very small steps. (laughs) I call them bearable chunks, right? And so networking can be like that. Like if you are like, oh my gosh, I want to be a, I want to be a YouTuber and I'm going to go to VidCon or one of these giant conferences and I'm just going to show up there and network. Like that is insane. It's overwhelming. And even the most committed extrovert, I think, would just hide, hide in the bathroom. Find something much, much more specific. Find a local meetup. Like use a few connections. I'm big on having a job. Like I never ever go to anything networky or even any kind of professional event unless I have a specific job to do. So that could be, you know, for me, it could be speaking or presenting, but it could also be volunteering at the ticket counter. It could be, I know this person's going to be here. I want to try to meet her or I want to meet three people and get three people's business cards and then I'm going to leave. Like very, very defined tasks and bearable chunks. The other thing that I also think is so inspiring and that I have learned for many years being part of um, what used to be called the mom blogger community and is now really online influencers is, you know, that is a community that has a few conferences every year that people like to go to. So you go and you know it's a must go. Like there's this amazing conference called Mom 2.0 or something like Blog Her, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know you're going to go. It's going to be three insane days. You're going to be scared. You're going to feel like you're walking into the high school cafeteria, but it's really important. You're going to see your friends. You're going to make business contacts. You got to go. So have a plan. That's three days. Get your best outfits, like get your hair done, go. And then come home and have an online strategy for keeping in touch, right? I think that it's really about thinking, again, who's my audience? Where do I need to be? What kind of FaceTime do I absolutely have to do? And like, how can I get my battle armor ready and sort of really tap into why I'm there? And then I can leave. And then how am I going to sustain the contacts while I'm gone? And this is, again, where having an online professional brand is really, really key. A lot of us, by creating really smart content or creating beautiful content or whatever it is, the kind of content that we want people to see, that's how we build credibility. That's how we reach new people. That's how we build our networks. And you can do that from behind your screen. I love that. And as a, I'm a blogger as well. And I, I see that definitely in the blogging community. And I do find, you know, those I've been to blogger events, they're great. And it is a little overwhelming at first, you know, when you go there. But um, a lot of times, me and Lindsay now will go to events as speakers. And I find that the networking for me, it's probably a power thing, honestly, in my head, which is so silly to say, but I feel like more confident because we are, you know, I was invited here, we are speaking here. So I feel really comfortable talking to people because I'm like, I feel like I've been validated probably from like the staff or something like that. But um, when I go as an attendee, you know, it's oftentimes really challenging to kind of 
you know, I, I kind of find someone and I just really get to know them, but doing it in chunks sounds like really doable. And I really like your point about finding a task or an activity. So us being a speaker is probably the task or the, the work, you know, at an event where we feel like we are meant to be there to do something. And um, if I'm at volunteer things, if I'm volunteering, I feel really comfortable too, because I have a task that I'm meant to be doing that entire time. That's right. You're not just walking into a sea mm-hmm. of people. Exactly. I mean, that's... You know, and, and so, and, and, and I do think that, that trying to volunteer and, and feeling like part of something is really, really helpful. And so you can do that, you know, through meetups or local organizations. I have a lot of friends who get involved at General Assembly or at Skill Crusher, you know, in a lot of learning communities because that gives them a sense of purpose to then go and network or they start teaching classes or learning things they never thought they could. So... I'm I'm all about like being rooted in a community that understands me and then I can actually push myself to do things I'm not comfortable with. And I've learned that from watching these amazing content creators who for years they I mean the, the amazing thing about the mom blogging community and and the food blogging and any of the sort of online influencer community of of which I guess you are and we are I am too is you know, we said like, we're going to make our own rules and here's what we're going to do and here's how we're going to support each other to earn a living. So I'm such a fan. That's so true. It is true. That is so true. Because <laughs> I do think, uh, and last thing about the blogging, but I do think about blogging and I'm in a blog group, you know, on Facebook and all these bloggers come together and we share like everything. It's like, how much are you guys charging for this? How yes. much are you charging for that? How much did this brand pay you? Did they offer to pay you? What was your deal like? And we are, you know, we're all figuring out together. We're all kind of creating this, um, this sort of job. You know, we're creating a credibility around what it is that we do and a validity in it is what we do. And we're kind of using each other to help to do that. So yeah, I completely see that. I do too. My friend Christine Co. She calls she calls them her her secret squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> She's like they're out getting all the information, <laughs> all the nuts. <laughs> yes, literally. Sometimes though, I'm in there and I'm like embarrassed. I'm like, oh my god, they got paid that much. I got paid this much. <laughs> well, but hey, that's what now I know, first, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Completely. And something, so something that you talked about too in your story. So you talked about about earlier on, you talked about the all girls school and then you talked about college, you know, not loving college. And then looking at you now, what you do and the impact that you make and how um, you're a voice for women and how you speak for women and how you are rooted in your um, belief in women. Um, what was the turn there? Because I would see, I could see some people being going to the high school that you went to and kind of being turned off by women. And mm-hmm. then college... Um, from for me, my experience, I guess, is what I'm speaking from wasn't necessarily a place where I saw women standing in their light. So I didn't really leave with a belief in women. So what was like the turning point where you were like, I believe in women and I want to make my life dedicated to um, social good around them? So it's so... I love that you asked that question and I have such a clear answer and I wish everyone this moment of clarity. But my second job was I worked at iVillage.com, which is sadly no longer, but for many, many years, it was... I think I remember it. Oh, yeah. It was like in the 90s. Did it get bought bought by someone or what happened? Yeah, they got bought by NBC and then like NBC... Anyway, it was a a shit show. But Mm -hmm. when I came on, I was really lucky. I worked with the founders who were these two women who were in there. I guess then they were about to turn 50 and they were un- Believable badasses. 
And then my direct boss also, um, Betty Hudson, I'm still in touch with her. She was, she had come from NBC. She had run all of corporate communications for NBC and she came over to iVillage. And iVillage was all about women's community. So I had the opportunity at 22 to not only see what women could do on the internet when they came together, but to watch these women entrepreneurs just kill it, right? And Mm -hmm. I knew that I was never going to be a big... I just don't... Again, don't have it in me to be a big-time woman entrepreneur. But I think working closely with these women and then becoming a blogger. I became a blogger really early in a phase where I had worked in politics for a few years. This is fast forward five or so years after iVillage. And I had been really beaten down by a lot of major male asshole egos, which anyone following the news today would not be surprised about, even if they didn't work in politics. And I met Lisa Stone, the co-founder of BlogHer, which again, at its time, was just a powerhouse of a site and a community for women. And she made me her first political director, and I became a political blogger. And we created stuff online. We got candidates and lawmakers to answer us. And I think I have this thread in my life of seeing women's power when they come together in community in, in, in a really authentic way. I, I am all, I love shopping and fashion and hair and I have no, no issue about that. But women are much more than that. And when we turn our energy for that, we're so powerful. And so I just, I just really believe in it. I think that um, I, at my heart, you know, my mother was a, was a pagan goddess worshiper when I was 10 years old and she was going through a divorce. No, I must have been a little older. And I think being exposed to all these women like back in the day who were anti-patriarchy when I was a pubescent <laughs> also had a profound effect. <laughs> I just think that when women come together, we do really good stuff. And so I love all women's communities. Now I have two sons. I have a lovely husband. I absolutely adore men. But I am a person who believes that, like, I believe in women's community. I don't think that everything should be integrated. And I think that women should be in charge of more things. Mm. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, talk to us about, like, what your experience has been writing as, you know, I mean, the world has changed since the election and um, our world specifically. So what has Mm -hmm. it been like? in that space. I mean, I know more women are running for office and I think they're just coming out of the woodwork wanting to kind of like tackle what is going down right now um, and finding their voice. I think that's right. I'm reading this book, The Power, which I don't know if you guys have read it, but if I really recommend it, it's about women literally getting power, electrical power and using it. But I think we're in a moment, you know, Emily's List has had about 23,000 women sign up to run for office in the past year. Obviously, me too. You know, I do think that we're in a moment. I worked on the Clinton campaign as a consultant. I did a lot of really cool digital stuff that in the end did not work. And so for, for me and so many after the election, I think it was this, it was mourning, but it was also like, why didn't we win? Like we tried hard, we knew we were right, but we didn't win. And I think that women are getting really serious about winning. I think that what I've also seen, which I think is really cool, is women are getting really serious about money. Like you guys, we have to have more money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If we don't have money, we can't do anything. And so Mm -hmm. 
I think also what we're going to see is women getting really serious about earning more, about you know, not just doing business in a cool, fluffy way, but doing business in a really serious way. We have to earn more money and bring our economic power together. And so that's what I'm obsessed with right now is how do we educate women about finance and you know, really create environments that give women the power to go off and, and, and own it. I love that. Actually, we, and for our podcast, you know, again, almost 30, 20s to 30s, this is the age from my perspective is when I'm coming into money more, I'm making more money. Um, I'm starting to think more about my money and my finances and buying a house and all of those things. And it's really like, the bigger decisions I feel like personally are happening towards money. So we're really trying to focus in 2018 in educating um, our listeners and our community around finances so that we can be smarter about it to set ourselves up for the future. Um, What is some advice you would give to be more financially savvy if you have any resources or if you have anything that you've learned through the year that have really helped you? I have been... you know, When I was in my 20s, I had so much credit card. I had credit card debt before it was cool. Like, <laughs> I and like it's free, spent, right? <laughs> oh my god! Oh. If, if I could take anything back, it would. It. I think that, um, like so many people, I spent my feelings. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, sure, I eat them. Yeah. So yeah, whatever. Yeah, I ate them too. I drank eat them, them. Spend them. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish I had gotten in touch with my feelings and saved that money. It's <laughs> a good one. Yeah. In fact, I interview in my book a financial therapist. Nice. There are, there are people out there who are therapists, but who use the language of money as a way to like do the work. And I think that's brilliant. You know, so mm. yes, get smart, but also I was scared of money for a long time. Uh, again, I think because of how I was raised. And so I wasn't real about my money. I spent it, I thought it would always come back. And I was always scared to look at my bank account. So never be scared to look at the numbers because the numbers don't lie, especially if you run a small business. Oh my goodness, you need to know your cash flow. How much cash do I have in the bank? What's projected to come in? How much do I owe people? You you need to have a relationship with those numbers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We're learning that now as we Mm -hmm. grow. (laughs) Yeah, we are. We're just like learning as we go along and we're trying, you know, Mm -hmm. we reach out and, and... you know, ask people who have mm-hmm. done it before, but like, well, that's and all growing is hard. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they don't tell you that. You think that once once you'll you'll hit your stride as a business and you'll never worry again. But I think that there's that period of growth where you cash is actually much tighter, almost. Mm. And so that's where it's really helpful, to actually, to find mentors who are a little bit longer down the road who can coach you through managing the cash and the growth. Yeah, I think that's that's something too. This year, I want to. Um, meet with people and I want to kind of mm-hmm. really it's it's just not something that excites me you know I don't get excited thinking about learning about money and kind of breaking through the process and sometimes it's so you know, when you really think about our financial system, it's it's so screwed up and it's kind of scary. So it's not something that I'm drawn to where I'm like, I'm so excited to curl up with like a good finance book on the weekend. <laughs> but you know, no. it's something that if I never learn about it and if I don't get educated about it, I'm never going to be in the financial place that I want to be. And I don't want it to be a situation where my husband is like someone that is completely understanding and aware of how our money is, you know, being spent or invested. And I don't have oh my any God, idea. You cannot, cannot. You know, I'll tell you, when I was at iVillage, we had a divorce channel. And I cool. was 
do, yeah, well, except that I was doing a bunch of PR with the women on the divorce who would write about their experiences. And there were women who'd be like, I never even signed a check. Mm-hmm. And then he left me and he screwed me. You know, and my, my own mother's experience, my mom now is a really amazing investor, but she had a really tough time financially when my dad left. And I think that it is never okay to not understand your financial picture. And that's where friends come in. Like, I'm like you, I do not read, you know, Yahoo Finance obsessively, but I have with friends, especially as we're getting like middle-aged and boring, we sort of talk about it because A, it is kind of fun and B, it's really enlightening when you hear how your friends do it. So I think that we shouldn't be scared to talk about money. Men talk about money all the time. Completely. It's such a block, I think, for me. But mm-hmm. just you saying that you talk about it with your friends, I would think that like kind of building a community around that conversation so that you could like be very candid and honest about what's mm-hmm. going on. And I'm sure someone will speak up and say, Oh my God, me too. I'm, yeah, this is yes. how I fixed it, you yeah. know? And when the, fr- when the first person throws out a number, everyone follows. So someone has yeah. to be brave enough <laughs> yeah. to throw out a number. <laughs> Completely. That's so true. Did you hear, did you read, this is random, but that Kat Sadler article, I don't know if you heard about it, Maura. So she's, um, the, she's, a, she's on E actually, the TV network, but she, I don't know how someone slipped and told her that her male counterpart who does the same exact job, <gasps> yes, remember Kennedy, that, yeah. made twice as much as her. I heard that. You know what I mean? Like if she would have never known and never found out, like- I know. That transparency there is just so important. And I think women, it's very uncomfortable. And, you know, there's just so many feelings around it. But I think being more honest, and that's why I do feel lucky that blogging is a part of what I do because there is right now with my group, there seems to be a lot of transparency with one another about how much we're um, making and things like of that nature. I think that's great. It's, it's, it's so powerful. Completely. Just to switch gears a little bit, as a mom, how are you balancing your career? And I know in one of your episodes, you talked about work-life fit versus work-life balance. And I'm just curious about like your experience with that and the challenges that might have come up. <laughs> um, like, where do I start? <laughs> I mean... Right. There's no... I think that work-life balance is a myth. It's mm. it's the term that we all use because it's a culturally embedded term, but it's not really balance. I love the term work-life fit, which was coined by my, my friend Callie Yost, who is a very inspiring person. You should check her out. Mm-hmm. Her expertise is workplace flexibility. And work-life fit is really cool because... As Callie says, work-life fit is like... It's like snowflakes. No one has the same exact one. Some people, are they love to work. That's their fit. Like, don't yell at them. Don't call them workaholics. That's their jam. And actually, I've seen many relationships saved by the realization that if you have a partner who you think works too much, if you understand that that's just sort of they're wired that way, it really changes things. Anyway, so it's sort of like being an introvert or an extrovert. And so I think that understanding your personal work-life fit before you have kids is really important because, you know, so often we think that flexibility at work is only for mommies and this pisses me off to no end because I know a lot of moms who like love to work and are very happy to leave their kids in childcare with their partner all day. And I know people without children who don't want to work that hard, right? (laughs) So like we should all be able to sort of work in the way that makes us happy. I really think that's important. But when you have kids, 
you lose a lot of control over your time. I have three small children. Every single child is its own like mini business that I have to run. <laughs> right? I love I mean, that. It's, it's true. I got to pay their bills. I got to make sure they're... You're like, I'm like, getting no ROI on that middle one. No, the <laughs> ROI is very minimal. <laughs> no, I love them. But mm-hmm. however, so so I think that, you know, being really realistic is important. But the thing I will say is I think that I see this in the parenting community online because it's my job. And most, most women who are having kids now are, are younger, you know, five or 10 years younger than me. And I see a lot of anxiety, you know, oh my God, I'm never going to be, I'm not going to be able to be a perfect mom and, you know, start my venture backed firm. I might as well give it all up. Right. No. (laughs) Compromise is your friend. Like, I don't know about you, but my mother served us Cheerios for dinner or not Mm -hmm. dinner at all. Like we didn't have perfect parents. There is no such thing. So I think that it's really, really important to understand that this whole like parenting kid thing is a marathon. There are going to be good years, bad years, good days, bad days. It's okay to park your kids in front of the television for a few hours. It's not going to kill them. And and I just I just want to say that to your audience, like take some of the pressure off because you can't do it all, but you can do most of it. But you're going to have to compromise and that's okay. That's beautiful. I mean, what, you know, real is beautiful, period. So I love that. Along those lines, for the women that do have corporate jobs, you know, um, I, myself being one of them, and I can work from home sometimes, but it's not super flexible. How can we sort of find flexibility within where we work or sort of, Better, make it a better fit for ourselves than just having the standard nine to five go in, clock clock in, clock out, commute, you know, short lunch break. Like, what, what are some ways women can make themselves happier in their workplace if they go into work? I, I think part of it, honestly, and I know this sounds easier than it is, is to gain more control over your time before you have kids. I mean, I grew up with a lot of male, very successful salespeople in media and politics who were not accountable for their time as long as they made their numbers, right? And I think that sort of experimenting with flexibility before you have kids and and a, and a little bit more trying to make your own schedule in a way that suits you is is worthwhile. People probably won't notice, you know? All the data, and again, Callie Yost is a great resource on this. Your boss doesn't want you to quit. It's expensive. It's a pain in the butt. You're probably really good at your job. So when it comes down to you saying, I'm going to leave or I need to work in a little bit of a different way, which one are they going to choose? I think a lot of us just, we don't ask. And so I would encourage you to think about what you need and then think about a plan to get there. It's not going to be perfect. Of course, there's going to be times that you break your own rules, but understanding that you're worth it and you can get away and take the time that you need a lot more than you think you can. It's it's just, I mean, a lot of bosses want us there because it's easier for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, trust me, I talk to probably a thousand people a year about this kind of stuff. And a lot of them just say, well, my, he likes to see me. Well, what the hell does that mean? Literally. He likes to see me. Yeah, see you and what? <laughs> right. Like, no, that's not okay. That's not right. a good reason and for you lazy. to commute. Mm-hmm. It's lazy. It's not a good reason for you to commute two hours a day mm-hmm. 
when you don't necessarily have to, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway. I almost feel like they're... This is my life. It would (laughs) require them to do better at their job. That's right. You know, to, to better communicate with you at home, to make the goals and the vision mm-hmm. and the expectations super clear. It's the indirect versus direct communication. Yeah. It's a lot more challenging. There is reams of data on this. And what's really funny is that when you look at flexible teams, men like them less or dispersed <laughs> teams. Because the truth is in large corporations, I mean, all my clients are big organizations. They're not sitting all around in the same office, right? There's a London bureau. There's a New York office. There are people on the road. There are people... I mean, so, so the idea that we're all sitting around in a happy little office, I think is a myth for most large companies, certainly. But men have a harder time with it because it does require more planning, more and women too, but statistically men, more planning, more communication, and more structure. But if you can start bringing that to the team, it's actually going to make a better team. It's going to make a better workplace. Yeah, I think in uh, what I think you said is really important is I think um, women are afraid to ask for it and they're afraid to voice for it. Um, it's kind of like, I need to, you know, well, I need to prove that, you know, I'm, I'm doing a good job and I need to be there for three years. And they kind of put up these barriers in place that prevent them from actually asking for what it is that they want or making the direct case for it is what they, that they want, where men oftentimes will make the case for it and then kind of think about the reasons why later. Well, they don't ask for it. They just do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, 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 re- I really think that, that part of the problem is that was that we as good girls are raised to ask for permission. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you just got to take it. Mm-hmm. 100%. Last question from me. Uh, what was it like to work with Obama on Obama's <laughs> campaigns? <laughs> well, I, unfortunately, I never worked directly with him. I, you know, I was one of many, many because he had such an amazing digital operation. <sighs> Truly. Many digital consultants. Um, so unfortunately, I mean, I've seen him speak a bunch, but I was hardly like in the room. I wish I were. Did you just feel like you were so aligned to the message though? Like when you were working on those that on that project, did you feel like you just... Like I could just imagine like his presence and everything that he stands for, especially socially and online social media, he understands it so well from a political perspective. It would just feel so good to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. I mean, I think the organization, I mean, again, not to speak ill of Hillary Clinton, but it was not a digital organization. You could tell the candidate the candidate herself is not, she doesn't, she didn't care about the organizing power of the internet. I think the thing that we all found that was so amazing about President Obama was he really understood it and he liked it. And he we felt like he was one of us, right? We would watch him on nightly shows and you know he was he was such a beloved part of our world and our culture, as was Mrs. Obama. I think that we all miss that. So I don't know about you, but I miss, oh it's like God. I miss them. So oh my God, I miss them I don't every know day. them, but so I miss them. Every time he tweets, I'm just like, I just reply, I'm like, I miss you guys. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, and, and like, I know, I know. And so I think that, and that's like, that's the amazing thing when you work on, I mean, I, I, I've worked on several like campaigns and clients where I have felt like I would do this for free, mm. you know? Mm. Dang, that is. And a lot who I wouldn't. That's goals. So, you know. And yes. a lot of women. <laughs> You're like, for you, double. <laughs> okay, last question from me, kind of outside what we were just talking about, but kind of a, a thread that that runs through everything that you do just personally. We talk a lot about self-care 
Um, and a lot of our listeners are, you know, running their own business, you know, doing XYZ, running around all day and are just now, as they're getting older, trying to find time for themselves and really committing to that. So could you walk us through a few of your self-care rituals that kind of keep you grounded and sane, you know, when things get crazy? I am the most selfish self-care person. Love that. That's a theme. <laughs> That's a theme. I love that. No, but honestly, well, first of all, it's I am privileged to be able to do it because self-care, mm. you know, takes time and money, let's be honest. Yes. But I invest in it. I am an extreme introvert. I cannot be with people who I don't like know and love and even those are tough for more than a couple of hours. I can't. I need so much alone time. Like if you saw my day, you'd be like, this woman is nuts. Mm-hmm. I I I walk alone a lot. I like to spend time just like staring off into space. I like to drive around in my car alone. I build in a lot of alone time. And what I have learned is that's when I think. That's when I process stuff. That's when I get new ideas for my business. That's when I come up with ideas for books. Like that is generative, germinative time. And so it's important. And so I am really rigorous about booking in my alone time. And that's also as a mom. Again, this mom thing, like, oh my God, if I'm not at work, I better be, you know, doing the Play-Doh and making the cookies. No, it is really okay. And kids like it to be alone together. So like I might be reading up in my room and the kids are downstairs doing God knows what. They're, <laughs> they're not on their iPads, but they're just doing kid stuff. And I feel like that's okay. So alone time and then body work. I am very, very committed to body work, mm. massage, acupuncture, everything. And so um, I think that that's... Um, I think that's really important. And um, as an anxious depressive, it keeps my my serotonin levels and my energy up. And so I just view it as like healthcare. Love that. How, yeah. many t- how often do you get acupuncture done? Um, I go in phases. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I get it done like for four, four months, I'll get it done, you know, every week or every other week. Right mm-hmm. now I'm into dry needling. Have you ever had that? Mm, tell us more. Oh, no. um, oh wow. Imagine an ac- a giant needle stuck into your muscle and moved around until it spasms. Oh, I don't so I don't hard. I don't like that. <laughs> oh no, it's cool. amazing. It's called dry needling? Dry needling. Do you, thing. do you bleed? No. Oh. Physiatrists do it and um for those of you who have chronic tension or TMJ mm. or like really short mm. sore shoulders or tight hips? Yes. Amazing. Oh, so good to know. Cool. And covered by insurance. Really? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. I know. So, um, anyway. I, lo- I love the alone time piece. I am, and I've realized, like, I'm, a, I'm an actress and I've performed my entire life, but I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm. And I really like to be alone. So um, sometimes, like, I think when I was a little bit younger, like in my 20s, like, I, I kind of was ashamed of it, like... I'm like, oh, there must be something wrong with me that I don't really want to hang out with anyone right now because <laughs> it's such a social time, you know, in college and and whatever. But I was, yeah, so it's it's nice to hear that, you know, it's becoming, I guess, more um, of a self-care piece. I, I feel the same. You know, when you're young, you're not supposed to not want to be, you're right. You're, what you just said is so right. And so... For your listeners, my, one of my nicknames used to be grandma in college. Mm. Like, oh, you're so lame. How come you don't want to go out? <laughs> but now there's this great new newsletter called Girls Night In. 
Oh yeah, I'm subscribed to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. Alicia Ramos. So I think it's becoming, I love it. I think that that younger women are learning that they don't have to party every single night and I love it. Yeah, I completely agree. That's like the one thing I would do, tell my 20-year-old self is that you don't need to party because you feel like you had to because right now I literally never drink, I never party and I've never been happier. Oh, It's like a peer pressure good. thing. So mm. um, grandmas unite. Grandmas unite. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, so, so this much for taking been. the time to speak. This is, you are such a, you're such a- I feel like we've known you. Yeah. I don't know why, oh. but I, I can't wait to meet you when we're on the East Coast. We're going to have meetups um, this are you, year. Okay, so. well, listen, ladies, I want to talk business at some point. I have a client called the Forte Foundation. Do you know them? No. I've, so they're super cool. They promote young women to have careers in business and in particular get MBAs. Oh. And we're doing an influencer marketing like whole project. And I think that, I'd love to talk to you. So maybe we can schedule a time or I, I don't know if you yes. have a business person or whatever, but I think I'd love to learn more. And if you're doing meetups and stuff, that's really cool. Yes, oh, yes, That would be yes. amazing. Yes, that is. Yeah, yeah not only you're, you're so smart, you're the smartest, oh. like your background is like, <laughs> but you're so cool Stop. and you're so fun and you're just such a pleasure. So we really appreciate it. This has been an absolute joy um, and we're excited to connect with you more. So thank you so thank much. You. Oh, same here. I <laughs> yes. really appreciate it, ladies. Aww. Thank you so much. Have such You're a welcome. great rest of your day. And then um, we'll talk to you soon. I'm so excited. Okay, good. We'll set up a meeting. <laughs> great. Bye. 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 